God does amazing things when I preach. And as you know, I don't preach that often. And, and um, there were a few things that I didn't realize were preparing my heart for the sermon this morning, even before Jordan asked if I was available to preach. And one of the things that was going on was last week. Um, some of you know that I get to, throughout the week, engage with Christians and non-Christians. And I really had the intention of encouraging people um, to spend time at their church, at their place of worship, on a Monday, Thursday, if it was available, or a Good Friday, or a Sunday Easter service. So I would say, initially, um, so hey, what are you going to do this weekend? And sometimes, uh, nothing. Um, and then I started kind of morphing the language into, um, so are you going to celebrate Easter? And I would get more responses. Some of those responses would be, yeah, we're doing an Easter egg hunt. Yeah, the family's getting together. We're going to have a huge meal. Sometimes people would say, we're going to church. And then my question kind of morphed towards the end of the week, what does Easter mean to you? Now, if the person was a church-going, Bible-believing Christian, they would usually like, oh, he wants to know what I believe about Easter. And so they would put on their Christian hat and they would give me the religious answer, which was fine. It's always appropriate. Um, Easter means to me that Jesus is risen. The grave, the tomb was empty, and that's good. But I don't think there is anything wrong with the other things. It is a time of celebration. Family can come together. There can be a big meal and Kids can celebrate and talk about Easter eggs and even an Easter egg that is empty. Those are all good things. For me, when I think about Easter morning, I think about um, worshiping at a sunrise service, Easter sunrise. That always meant something to me. But right now, I'd like for your minds to go back 2,000 years because Easter wasn't a holiday. The disciples were worried, fearful. They locked, them up, they locked themselves up in a room. And in fact, the text tells us twice that the disciples had fear. They were a fearful and anxious bunch. One commentary that I read said that the disciples were not only just afraid of the Jews, but they were also afraid of the Roman soldiers who historically would not only execute the leader but also of a uh, rebel faction, but would also execute the followers. So the stage is set. We come upon this text on Easter day when some had reported that Jesus had risen from the grave, but they weren't fully embracing the reality of what that meant. So our text is John 20, picking up in verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. 
Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Let's pray. Father God, um, I do pray that you would illuminate uh, your word, that you would open our ears through your Holy Spirit, and allow us to receive this morning so much more than I would plan or prepare. But Lord, allow us to embrace the fullness of the gospel and the impact of peace that you provide in the name of Christ. Amen. So what comes to your mind when you think about Easter? I can imagine that it's anything except for bolt the door quick. Make sure nobody gets in. It can be anything except for, now wait, don't, don't go outside alone. We're, we'll be okay here. It's anything but the, those things. But for the early church, that's what it was. So on that Easter morning, we find the disciples behind a locked door. And Jesus himself says, no, I'm going to be there with you. The text does not tell us if Jesus um, went around the neighborhood knocking on different doors saying, are the disciples here? The text doesn't tell us that um, Jesus, being God, knew exactly where the disciples were, but um, that's what I imagine. I imagine that Jesus miraculously knew exactly where the disciples were and also miraculously knew what was on their hearts. What was on their hearts? Fear, anxiety, a sense that it's just us and we're in this together and if we keep protecting ourselves, we'll be all right. And so what happens? When they're not expecting it, with the doors locked, bolted, actually, Jesus appears. Now, some commentators will say that um, Jesus actually appeared before their eyes and somehow mysteriously kind of went between the molecules of the door or the wall and just magically appeared, almost like, you know, Ant-Man. Have you seen the movie Ant-Man? Oh, it's a great movie. It's a Marvel movie. Ant-Man, he's got this little contraption. He pushes a button, and he shrinks to, like, super-sized small, and he's able to get in between doors or windows and all kinds of crazy things. So a, a bolted door is nothing for Ant-Man, right? Right, Cal? Have you seen Ant-Man? So somehow, then Ant-Man would enter a room, and then he could push a button again, and he's back to normal size. I don't think that's what Jesus did. And the text doesn't tell us exactly what, how Jesus got in there. Some commentators say that he was able to, from one side of the door, move the bolt aside and then enter in. I don't know for sure. But I will say that when the disciples weren't expecting it, when they thought the best way to prepare for the day was to isolate and stay huddled together, peace enters in. And that's the way it is for us. 
You see, we're not really, as we go about our day, day-to-day activities, we're not really thinking about the anxiety that's within our hearts or the fear that we have about what tomorrow may bring. But God himself says, I know what's going on in your heart. I know where you're at. And that bolt that you want to place on the door, it's nothing. I'm right here. Peace be with you. The Hebrew word is shalom. And I find that I like to use that word um, in different contexts because peace can mean this, right? Peace can mean a little white dove that uh, makes you happy and feel good. But shalom, when I say that word, that makes people stop and reevaluate what is going on. Shalom. There's not fight here. There's not struggle right now. There is no need for worry or fear or anxiety. Right now, shalom. One commentary mentioned that, or actually it was a pastor, I think, mentioned that, you know, Jesus, when he came into the room, he could have said anything he wanted to at all. He could have said, hey, where were you guys three days ago? You abandoned me. There I was out in the garden asking you to be my friends and pray with me, and what happened? You left. (laughs) And you, you abandoned me. You said it again and again, even to a little girl. You said that you didn't know me. But he didn't call him out on the mat. Jesus himself did not make them feel guilty or punish them for what he had every right to do and say. But instead, he said, shalom. It was a common expression at the time, but really, it was also an invitation. The disciples um, still had a sense of fear, even as Jesus held his hands exposed them and exposed the holes in his feet and the side, even as he did this thing, the disciples, they were able to find joy. It is you, Jesus. It is you, our leader, our savior. It is you. The text says that they felt joy. But if you read on later in the same chapter, guess what? The disciples are fearful again. The door is bolted again. (laughs) we're a fickle bunch, aren't we? We stand and we know things to be true. We say, wow, this is great. But it takes a while for a heart to really hold on to shalom, peace. We can give lip service to what it is to be okay. Is everything all right? Yeah, everything's all right. But really, there's still stuff. Fear, anxiety. What is going to happen tomorrow? These things are going on. And uh, 
In my short time on earth, I feel like things have gotten worse rather than better. And um, that's probably not words of encouragement, but it really is a confession that I need Christ now more than ever. Who is this Jesus? He is the risen King, the Lord of Lords, and his peace is available to all. And as believers, we have only to recognize that he is in the room for us. But this message is also for unbelievers, those who don't deserve God's grace, the disciples, those who deserve to be called to the mat and punished for doing things wrong. What's Jesus' message to them, to the sinner? Peace be with you. You see, the great miracle that happened over Holy Week was that Christ himself was willing to die for who? Sinners, like us, sinners. And as Christ died for sinners, he made the way possible to have access to the heavenly throne, to God above. The temple's curtain was torn in two from the top to the bottom, giving us peace with God. For us, for sinners. So that men who put their belief in Jesus will not be put to shame. They have only to receive it. Do you know that peace is available to you? The Bible states in Romans 5, verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What does it mean to be justified? That Christ himself died on the cross for our sins, and it's by faith that we say, Lord, I recognize that you died on the cross for my sins. I want to repent of those sins And I need you now. I need your blood to wash over me and remove all this iniquity from me. And his promise is this, that he will, as far as the east is from the west, separate the sin, the fear, the anxiety from you. Easter means that we do not have to fear God's wrath. Um, I mentioned a little bit about how I think, think things are getting worse rather than better, and um, that's, I don't have any scriptural text for that. I'm just, it's just a feeling I have. And with every sermon, I try to uh, have a message for our families, a little part, something that I can offer to our families. And really what came to my mind was all that our teenagers have to go through with regards to fear and anxiety. I went ahead and looked up a few statistics. Um, Our kids have, they have to get a high ACT. They have to, they feel like they have to excel in sports and they have to be number one. It isn't good enough for a lot of our kids to be second or third. But to have any sense of worth in today's society, they have to be Number one. So in a national poll, it was found that 61% of teens that they feel a lot of pressure when it comes to getting good grades. And somehow 
This myth exists that says that you will never make it in this world unless you can get good grades, you're number one, or you're in Ivy League school, or you're going off to somewhere college. It's, it's a myth. The reality is, is that you, as a teen, or as an adult, or as a child, are precious to God alone. And he has your beginning and your end in his full view. That should help us with our anxiety. But truth be told, I get anxious too. I know these things, and, and God has been really good to uh, point these things out to me. Um, so I won't tell you exactly why, but I will confess that I had to bring some of my anxiety out to the open. Um, it wasn't that long ago. Maybe it was just uh, uh, two weeks ago or, or three weeks ago. I had to contact a friend and, and just say, I've got this anxiety. It's about my future and my wife's future. Not, we're not, it's not a problem, I'm just saying. Just, I have this anxiety. i got to deal with it, and I'd like to get uh, your advice about, you know, what's next. And uh, my friend sat down with me at, at Breadco, and it was, it was good. And um, it's good to hear again and to think again that really the main things are that Christ doesn't take his eyes off of us. Scripture reminds us that the eyes of the Lord range throughout the land to strengthen those whose hearts are fixed on him. My anxiety was real as I worried about tomorrow, but the real reality was that God never leaves me nor forsakes my marriage. He's watching over us. I'll share more about some of those personal stories later on. But I did want to say just again that Jesus is in the business of reassuring his people that he will be with them always. The second point is that the Prince of Peace is always present. The text reminds us that Jesus breathed on them that they would receive the Holy Spirit. It's kind of like Aslan. You know Aslan? It's kind of like Aslan. When, when Aslan breathed, it was like the Holy Spirit came out as C.S. Lewis was reminding us of this passage. And Jesus breathed on the disciples that they would receive the Holy Spirit. And it didn't happen right in that moment, but it provided a way and a visible and auditory way for them to know that something was coming. Pentecost would take place, I guess, 50 or 49 days later, depending on how you count it. Um, Pentecost would take place down the road, and then we're told by Luke that the Holy Spirit came up upon the disciples at that time. But what does it mean? It really gives weight to the words when Jesus said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. His spirit is with us now. And in this time of transi transition between the Y and the SDA church, I'm really thankful for the Holy Spirit. I mentioned earlier about how people are using their gifts 
and their talents to do different things of administration, um, gifts of encouragement. Um, I needed a hug this morning. Gifts of encouragement, um, just a little note or thoughts about what will happen in the future and how we can benefit the people in our congregation, but also the people in the community. This is the body at work. And it's possible only because of the Holy Spirit at work within you as you exercise and use your gifts. So what Christ breathed, it comes into action, and it's in play even here and now. I don't know what is in store for us at the new building, but I know this, that Christ is with us. His Holy Spirit is with us. And it's not connected to any particular building. Four walls and roof doesn't make a church. What really makes a church is a body of people willing to be faithful to the calling that God has before them. It's a body of people that are broken in need of peace. Our text continues and it tells us even more about others who need peace. Jordan reminded me that all the Gospels um, mention the Great Commission. And this passage is John's Great Commission to all of us. You see, Jesus told his disciples to go, to be, to be in the world, <laughs> behind the locked door, right? To get out. Jesus said to them in verse 21, again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. This is actually what I'm kind of excited about as we consider this, this new building. My final point is that the, the passage reminds us that the peace of Christ is available to others. The Great Commission as we know of in Matthew 28, applies to us today, even as this passage applies to us today. But the message is actually a little more profound in that it's a message of peace. It's a message that the Lord himself wants us to bring to the nations that we can have peace with God, peace with one another, and peace before God. I don't preach it often, and I'm thankful that I don't preach it often. But it's always interesting what goes on before I do. Um, it was about a month ago, maybe, that um, I kind of noticed that my neighbor right across the street from us, right across the street, I saw him a lot. I saw their dog, Lola, a lot. But I didn't see the wife around as much. I'm like, oh, maybe she's out of town visiting a sister or whatever. And then I saw a for sale sign on their front lawn. And I said to Leah, I think they're getting a divorce. And so um, I walked my dog, Sandy, and kind of hoping that I'd get a chance to talk to him, which my dog, Sandy, is great for me to get to talk to the people in the neighborhood. So I, I saw him, and I walked on up, and I said, hey, how are you doing? I saw your for sale sign. Lots of people are coming by. That's great. He's, and he offered it. 
yeah, um, my wife and I are getting a divorce. And then he said, well, yeah, actually, it's been going on since June. And now my heart was really broken. For five months, my neighbor right across the street has been dealing with a potential fracture in his marriage, and I had no clue. And just this past week, one of my coworkers in, that works in the St. Louis office, she shared with me, Dean, been married for 44 years. I know the Lord. My husband knows the Lord, but we're going to get a separation. I'm like, oh. And then someone else that, that is a nurse at one of the skilled nursing facilities that I work with, I said, hi, how are you today? Well, actually... I'm going to go look for an apartment this weekend. What? Why? You moving? I'm moving out. What about your kids? Mm, we're going to figure that out. She's getting a separation. So it, these three people I've had relationship with for years, and I had no idea what was going on. And that is really what broke my heart. How can it be that I that I have been so, I don't know, busy, unavailable, I don't know, unapproachable, maybe. Or maybe they've been holding on to these things, not wanting it to get out, that they don't have peace in some aspect of their life. The peace of Christ is available to all who would ask. We can't hide behind a locked door. But his arms are extended for me and for you and for the person that lives across the street so that they would know the perfect peace of Christ. In this world, we're, we know that we will have trouble. And we know that sometimes divorce does happen and it is for allowed in Scripture. Divorce is allowed in Scripture. So I'm not saying that it's not allowed. But I'm saying that that's not the ideal, only because God's plan was that we would love and serve one another, that we would reside with an atmosphere of peace with our fellow man, our brother, our sister, our spouse. And when that is broken then it does make the Lord sad. I believe that it makes the Lord sad. Where do we go from here? What does this text mean? It actually coincides nicely with our mission statement. I didn't think about it until Justice had read it this morning. But where do we go from here? The peace of Christ is in, up, and out. It's almost... <laughs> Uh, almost like a, a Dobbs commercial. <laughs> yeah. All right. The peace of Christ is available in for sinners like we who need that peace, knowing that we are reconciled before God, even when we mess up. Even when we mess up, the peace of Christ is available. God doesn't come at us with a heavy hand and says, why did you do that? 
Instead, he offers us forgiveness and love. He says, come here, my child. Look at my hands. Look at my side. Look at my feet. That is not your stripe. That is not your pain. That's not your anxiety. That's not your fear. It's been dealt with on the cross. Peace helps us with the up. Because we now have the freedom to stand before God unashamed. The curtain was torn in two. Peace before God, the up. But also, peace looking out. I am going to invite my neighbor to church. I haven't done it yet. I get into situations where... um, (laughs) frankly, I'm a little afraid that I'm going to say the wrong thing, as I often do. I get in situations where um, having a relationship with that person is more important to me, somehow, than helping their relationship with the Lord. And I'll, I'll confess that I did this. It was about four or five years ago. Um, I had an opportunity to uh, speak with a couple of seminary students from Eden, and um, I was with the pastor, and the seminary students from Eden said, uh, well, we don't really um, believe in the Trinity. We just believe that um, Jesus' teachings are really good. And I decided that, well, you know, I'll, I'll push back a little bit. And so I said, oh, well, that's nice. Um, I kind of like um, the thought of, well, Jesus was baptized and the Holy Spirit came upon him fr- like a dove as God uh, the Father said in a loud voice, this is my son whom I'm pleased. And then I just kept my mouth quiet. I didn't say any more. And they said, well, you know, da-da-da-da-da. I'm like, oh, well, that's great. You know, I'm just so happy to meet you guys. You know, maybe we can get together, you know, whatever. It just, oh, uh, yeah. And then afterwards, the pastor called me out. He said, Dean, are you more concerned about a relationship with these people than you are about sharing the truth? Is that the only verse that came to your mind? And he was right. And with my neighbor, I think it's the same thing. I'm more concerned with, hey, everything's good. I love your dog, Lola. Woo! Everything's great that I don't go in and have those deep conversations, even with the guy right across the street from me. So I think that's part of our call, our call to action here, is to live it, to know it, experience it, but also to make it available to those that we come in contact with. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your amazing love and grace which you have both freely given. I thank you, too, for making peace with us through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, for giving us the opportunity to do even what does not come natural, and that is to reside in peace, to experience peace with you, and to live peace with those around us. Give us this peace this day. In the name of Jesus. Amen.